0: do. We're going to get started. About hurt myself right there. (laughs) Well, Happy New Year. Icepocalypse 2020 is already over. It was a skating rink out here last week. I'm not going to lie. Roads were great. Parking lot, not so great. Might have done a 360 or two. You'll never know. Footage has been erased. (laughs) Glad you're here. We're starting a new series. case you're wondering. It's called Let's Get It Started. Uh, I'm stoked about it, uh, but before we get into it, I got to explain a couple things. Um, There's some boards up here and some rocks that if you weren't here two weeks ago, you're probably looking at them like, what the heck are we doing? These are a a description of Joshua Charles to God's goodness and faithfulness in 2019. And so why we left them up is because for the first couple weeks, we want this to be the thing that leads us into trusting God's faithfulness for 2020. So, This is an illustration that the Israelites did as they entered the promises of God in the promised land. This is our visual continued demonstration that God is still faithful today. And so don't don't leave today without at least maybe passing by and checking those out, maybe reading them. We'll probably have them up one more week just so you get a chance to see it. If you weren't here, but you want to add yours to it, there are still cards and there are still pens up there that you can go, I want to add my, my kind of Continued story, the continued mosaic of God's faithfulness in 2020. You can do that. So you can take advantage of that at some point. Now, today, wow, that was loud. Today, uh, we're going to start this series, and I want to give you an idea of what we're doing, because we're starting something, and sometimes you're like, what are we starting? Well, let me tell you. We have a five year plan, and if you were back in October, we laid this out as a vision for Kings over the next five years. We want to see four things get healthier, okay? These four things are discipleship, relationships, our finances, and our parenting. Now, these are four qualities, characteristics that are very, very, very important. They are not everything, okay? Some of you are like, what about... And I get it, I get it. This is just us saying, hey, success, a good purpose, a good driving force, a good point of what we're going to be striving for are these four things. So over the next three to four weeks, we're going to just walk through these a little bit. And we're going to get these started. Okay? We're going to get these started. And so today, uh, we're focusing on discipleship. Discipleship. So, I want to ask you a question, just, just to start off. When you think of the word discipleship, what do you think about? And if you're a Christian, I'm sure there's some things that maybe very quickly come to your mind. Uh, If you're not a Christian, though, uh, what comes to your mind? I mean, let's, let's think about this. Outside of the biblical world, what would discipleship look like? I mean, that's even a healthier thing to maybe think about. What would that look like? What would that be like? One of uh, my favorite moments is when I get to see some ways that discipleship flows out of my life into someone else's. And by that, I mean discipleship is when you realize how much influence you have in someone else's life. When I had Garrett Whitmore up here just a few weeks ago for the God is Faithful series, and he said the word sucks on stage in his little testimony. I knew that was my fault. I knew it was my fault. And even some of you tried to warn me about that before I had kids, that I'd say that word from stage. He's my disciple. <laughs> That's literally what I thought. I thought, oh, there it is. is it, I mean, is that the type of stuff that you think about when you think of discipleship? Is it these little pinpoint pieces of kind of rubbing elbows and kind of life kind of spreading? Your influence kind of becoming something that someone else grafts onto or holds onto or catches, like a cold, or a word? He tried to go straight to the Bible and kind of pull out where we get the word. I mean, as Christians and in this community, there's a really simple verse that kind of tells us and why we keep talking about the word disciple and why we should even care about the word discipleship. Uh, It it comes from one of the last things Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. It's verses 19 and 20 of chapter 28. Before Jesus leaves, one of the last things he tells his disciples— his followers is he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. This is a big thing. Everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So very clearly we've been told to make disciples. So this word discipleship becomes pretty, pretty important. Make disciples. So we're talking about discipleship. I think it's important to realize we, we're talking about this because it's a command. Whenever Jesus tells you to do something, it's even worse than when your mama looked at you and said, I told you to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's a no holds bar. No pushback. Do it. So this word discipleship becomes a little bit more important in our community than just a word or a concept, or some sort of teaching it gets a little deeper. And then you've got verses like John thirteen thirty five that kind of expose the need for us to be labeled as disciples. For us to have that title over us. John 13, through 30, uh, 35 says this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another, now stick to that word love because you're going to want to come back next week. Uh, We're going to talk more about this for sure because love exposes, love will expose our discipleship. Love will expose our discipleship. And that word love, our English version of that word is so terrible compared to what the Greek words that were used. And I say words because there's three of them. Three specific words that are different in their interpretation and understanding that lay out the fullness of what love can be in the Greek. In our English, we say, I love cheeseburger, and I love my kid, and I love my wife, and I love Chiefs football as the same word. And that's just weird, right? Can we admit that? It's just weird. So come back next week, and we're going to define that word a little better. But love does expose our discipleship so this is about the point and if you're on this journey with me by this point you're like so you haven't defined it yet you've told us that we're supposed to make them you're saying love exposes it but what the heck is discipleship what is it where's the definition i need the definition all right here it is this is what the internet told me okay it's okay we have to look at the internet it's okay google's not a bad thing it's just not all knowing like everybody thinks it is sometimes A person who who is a pupil or an adherent of the the doctrines of another. I'm going to say that again. A person who is a pupil or an adherent of the doctrines of another. Literally, it's exactly what I used that illustration for. It's someone that watches and learns and adheres to what they're taught. They're being taught. Oh. They adhere to it, to what they're taught. So at that, I'm supposed to be a disciple, and I'm supposed to make disciples, and I'm supposed to teach them everything that I've been taught, and I'm supposed to do it with love at the center of it all. That is discipleship. So where do we start? For some of you in here, when I say that you have never discipled someone, you would say, "Uh, you're right. I've never discipled someone. And if I said that to almost every person in here, I would immediately be false and telling a lie. Because believe it or not, even against your will, you are discipling people right now. It may not be for Jesus, it may not be the things that Jesus taught, but you are discipling. You have influence. You have people watching. I love that word pupil, like your pupil. It attaches, your eyes are pulled to it. You can't help but be inquisitive, excited, somewhat intrigued. And then you have people that will change the way they work, change the way they talk, change the way they act as your pupil, as they watch you. This word discipleship, it it seems scary at first, I think, because it sounds like, man, we got to do all this stuff, and I don't want to mess it up. But in turn, I think I am always this, and this is my personality, but I also think it's the truth in its fullness that this is also a great gift and opportunity. That you you could be given a mission by God to go and help people find full life and truth and reveal that to them of who God is, what he's done, how much he loves them. He has a purpose for them too, and you are the catalyst, the ambassador, the evangelist, the disciple. So that leaves me with a tricky spot, because... See, when I read Matthew 28, 19, and 20, like we did earlier, I love the first part where it says, go out into all the world and make disciples. I love that. But then when it says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, that's when I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> that's a lot. Right? That's a lot. That's tough. I don't know if I can do that. There's some parts I'd like to skip or not talk about. Or maybe I don't even know. So, in the best that I can in the next few minutes, I just want to give you three things to kind of help you realize that it's not necessarily about having it all figured out, but it's about recognizing that right now you have something to offer. If you are a follower of Christ, you have and received some teaching from Christ. You have received some knowledge, some understanding to your level. And your goal is not to know it all, but to be a discipler, And then to seek someone to disciple you, to grow, to better yourself in the ways of Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I just picked three random things because Jesus taught so much, you guys. Who read through the book of Luke? Raise your hands. I'm so proud of you. All right? I'm so proud of you. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, I am disappointed. I'm just kidding. But I am. (laughs) You could do better, but also here's my call to you. The reason why I had you read through the book of John and read through the book of Luke is some of you have never interacted with some of Jesus' teachings before in that way. You've never sat with a Bible and read it for yourself without someone to explain it, and you've thought, man, this is crazy. What am I reading? I don't know what this is, and you had questions. So here's three things that I feel like I want to pull out of some of these gospel stories, that I think will help give you pause, maybe some clarity, and then ultimately be a catalyst to you stepping up your discipleship, stepping up into something that maybe God is calling you to do in your personal life or in someone else's. The first one is in Matthew chapter 5. I taught this just a few days ago uh, in a a small group, and it just stuck with me that I couldn't get away with it. These are the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 and 7 of Matthew. It's a collection in Matthew of some of Jesus' most poignant, amazing teachings. It's a sermon, basically, but there's great evidence to show that this is just something he talked about all the time. This is just one recording of it, but it's almost like if he had a go-to sermon, it's Matthew 5 through 7. It's what it is opening of the Sermon on the Mount, the start of it, to a group of people that are hurting, neglected, broken, in pain, and forgotten. That's the crowd that he's talking to in this sermon. He says these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, are, for they will be filled. Now, these are a common tactic, and I don't have the fullness of time to tell you exactly everything that's going on here, but I will tell you this. This is a common way to talk through wisdom and knowledge. If you go to the book of Psalms or Proverbs, you will see this idea, this cadence, this word expression of blessed are. Blessed are you. Blessed is the man who. Blessed is the woman who. And so Jesus is piggybacking off that teaching technique to flip the script, to change the perspective of his disciples, to help them see what they couldn't see before. Blessed in the poor in spirit, he is talking to a group of people that need healing, are broken, and are broke. So when he says poor in spirit, nobody... I'm in it. Sign me up. But if you're poor in spirit and you hear that, you hear, God sees me. God knows me. In my brokenness, in my pain, in my lack of perfection, I will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Now these three, this is why I pulled these out. These three actually connect. If you don't read them three together, you'll actually miss the point. So you've got to come down to three to start the process, to come back up to know what mourning and meek is about. Okay? Because the last time I said mourning and meek were different times. I think it's like an old school word, right? We don't say that really anymore. So here's, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now keep in mind, hunger and thirst is not something you have to activate. It's something that happens to you right? It's like a subconscious thing that comes about. It's not like somebody woke up and you're like, I will be hungry today. Like, that's not how it works. You just wake up and you're like, wow, I'm hungry. So this is something that becomes so ingrained in you that you can't stop it. This is something that just rises up in you, that you long for it, that you want it so bad that you just can't stop seeking it, hoping for it, wanting it to be a part of your life. And it says righteousness. that word righteousness, immediately we think of rules, right? And you're like, rules, oh man, rules sound terrible. So you're hungering and thirsting for rules? No. But you have to remember who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to Pharisees, a bunch of church people. He's talking to broken, hurting, broke people. This word righteousness is actually translated into right standing. It's actually a relational word here. This is actually rightness in relationship. The concept is here is two parties that are in good and perfect standing. That are healthy and connected and fully on good terms. Think about the brokenness in a crowd of people Are ill, neglected, forgotten, unwanted, and they hunger and they thirst for those things to be made right. They hunger and thirst for those things to be made right, and they will get it. They will be fulfilled, they will receive it, it will happen. So then, when you go back and you see those people that are hungering and thirsting for those relationships that have been broken that have not been made right, the things that are there are struggling, that everything in their life is fracturing and falling apart, and they don't know who to trust because no one in their life sees value in them. They mourn. They know it's not right. They don't like the pain. They don't want it to be this way. But guess what? They'll be comforted. It's gonna be okay. 2020 it's going to be okay. Blessed are the meek. You know what this word basically means? You got no power. You got no power to change things. You can't do it. You are not strong enough. You're not. But just because you're not strong enough doesn't mean that you can't inherit something that is not your works not your strength not your will but someone else's you're given a gift though you're weak someone else makes you strong so though you are poor and though you mourn and you have no power to change your circumstances and you hunger for things to be right, God calls you blessed because that's his kingdom. That's what Jesus is up to. Totally flips the script. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. of Jesus. Let me keep going. Told you I got three. That's the first one. Second one's in Mark. One of my favorite stories that got me into ministry and self. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Jesus is teaching. He's got this huge crowds of adults around him. And there's this group of little kids that just can't help but get curious. All right? They just can't help but want to see what all the fuss is about. And I can't help but think that Jesus must have had just like some sort of charisma. Just this this concept of people that wanted to be with him. And who is the most trusting and the most incredibly, I think, intuitive group of people sometimes is kids. They see things so fast, you guys. Their little, their little, little antennae are just going off. They're horrible interpreters sometimes. But they see things and they realize what's going on. They'll call you on stuff. They'll notice it before you will. And this is what happens. They show up. The kids want to get to Jesus. And guess what the disciples are doing? They're the security crew. They're like, no, 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 no. Adult stuff. All right? Get away. And Jesus responds with this. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such things, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You know how much a a flip of script is this? They didn't even name their kids most of the time until they turned two. At times the birth rate and the infancy death rate was so high. Kids were seen as a gobbling up of resources, especially beyond the firstborn. A firstborn son, that's awesome. Your name will continue. They will inherit. That's great. But overall as a culture, kids were seen as a burden, not a blessing. Kids were seen as something that That took more than they would ever be able to give. But you know who loves really, really, really well and without holding back and trusts and believes the best and forgives faster and wants little kids? Now they can be scarred and they can have things happen that can break that innocence but you show me a healthy two- or three-year-old, they cling, they love well, and they love all out. Doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter the economic status, where they were born, where they live or even what language they speak. Kids will cross all those borders, all those boundaries, and they will love well. No excuses. Jesus flips the script, and he says, these kids do this better than you do. In fact, you just do what they do. That'd be That'd be best. This is a disciple. One last one. Mark chapter 12, just a couple chapters later. Mark is such a cool book. If you've never read through the book of Mark, it's really fun. It's like, it's like a guy that gets really excited on a podcast, and he keeps telling his favorite stories over and over again. He's just like, let me just tell you this one. No, 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 no. Next one, next one. Go to the next one. Just... Out of order, all over the place. Definitely, probably Peter's gospel. We think that Mark recorded, but you know, you could tell it's like just like favorite story. Let's go! Like here it comes, and it's for the Gentiles, which is for us, which totally makes sense. Which is totally. Is, hold on the subject. But here we go. Mark chapter twelve, verse forty-three to forty-five. Jesus is sitting in. Um, he's sitting in basically the Jewish tabernacle, and it's it's the temple, and he's inside one of the inner courts where they actually take the offerings and the tithes. And there's these giant copper, basically collection bowls, and they they basically put the money in, and everybody gets to hear it. All right now, it's it's a stone building. It's it's definitely something that like it's going to echo. Right, so. Jesus is in there with his disciples and they're watching and this guy comes over who's got some influence who's definitely not poor in spirit, definitely not in mourning, definitely not meek, and definitely probably not sure exactly what Jesus is, walks up with giant bags and dumps it in there, makes a ton of noise. Everybody turns and watches and nobody claps, but everybody like gives them like the head nod. You know, like that's what you do when you're not like you're not like, yeah, but you're like, good job, man. But then this this little widow walks up. And she drops her little coin in. Now, the word that's used just the verses ahead of this is it's a a penny. It's a half a penny. But it's not. It's it's a rubber coin at the time. So it's a rubber coin that's one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. That's the amount. Um, And it's a rubber coin, which I think is really curious, because a rubber on metal doesn't make the same as gold and silver. It doesn't make hardly any noise. And her gift is done just behind this person that gives this loud clang, and then her gift falls, makes no noise, and she leaves. And the disciples are watching this, and Jesus is watching them, and so this is what, <laughs> this is what Jesus says, because he can see their hearts, because he's God. So he's got to be going like, oh my gosh, they're getting this so wrong. They're going to say something. I'm like, but he was probably a little more mature about it. After he called his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, the poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had and all she had to live on. There is a difference between giving in faith and giving out of your works in abundance. And I know this is tricky and difficult, and I want you to come back because in a couple weeks we're going to talk more about this, but I just want you to hear this clearly from me. If you never put yourself in a position to give as faith, not if from a secure place, not if from a place that it makes sense But a faith place, a following God place. You're missing out. You're missing out. Because in the story, the person that Jesus is most proud of, no one else sees, no one else knows. You can't even pay one sixty fourth of a day's wager for someone to change the world with that, but he's proud and excited, and commends her. This is discipleship. He's teaching them. So the best way I can kind of wrap this up for you, and it's a hopeful way that I think will stick with you, it's actually a really cool way for you to see what we've been talking about this whole time, and you don't even realize it because Jesus had this incredible way of taking what we know and what we think we've heard and what we've been taught because we are pupils and disciples of someone, but we're called to be pupils and disciples of Jesus. And we have to take the world around us and we have to reframe it. We have to, we have to, call, we have to call on Jesus to help us see what's really going on, that the loud clangs and that the times that I feel poor and meek and mourning, and when I hunger and thirst for things that cannot be about, and when I struggle, and when I feel the intensity that I need to just trust like a child. So here's a cool way for us to see this together. It's a, it's called shadow art. Um, and it's one, of, it's one of the coolest things. It's by these two guys. Uh, it's Tim, I think, what is it? Tim... Tim Noble and Sue Webster. I know nothing about these artists. This is actually a video because I had like a couple pictures. But I want You to, you can turn the audio off. We don't need it. Some awesome thing. But they do this cool stuff. We're going to pause this a little bit. Keep going. These are these guys. Don't they look so cool? They look like they're a grunge band from the 90s. That's what they look like to me. But this is what they do. They take heaps of trash, things that are discarded in the city of Portland, and then they put some light on it. And they turn it into something different. Isn't that cool? You know what I love most about this? Is that the light redefines the darkness. changes everything in a moment what looks like a pile of nothing becomes something else your brokenness your discarded pieces of trash the things that no one else values all of a sudden in a moment with the right light with the right savior with the right hope it's shown to be something You can stop that there. You can go look up some more. But I'm telling you right now, this is the biggest thing that I will tell you. If you need one little statement to help you know what discipleship it is, this redefining light. It is redefining light. It is a light that comes in into dark places and dark things and difficulties and struggles. And it does not bring what we have, darkness. It brings something that only Christ has. And it brings it into the situation, and it redefines it. It reimagines it. It reveals it to be new, fresh, and real. The Sermon on the Mount is that. It is a redefining of the old kingdom into the new. It is saying, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. When Jesus says you need to be like a little child to get in, it's because we all have to start over. We have to start over. And the reason why he's so impressed with the woman that would give everything is because we, he would know that if you could see it, you would give all your trash, everything that you think is valuable, to get in, to know, to invest in him. And you would know it's worth it. It's redefining light that changes it. So there's two first steps. If we're going to get healthier in this area over the next five years, Take your first step. Take your next step. Start putting some redefining light in your life. You need it. Start putting some redefining light in your life. I have four resources up here, okay? Oh, I'm an old man. Holy cow. How's it hard to bend over? There's some trouble. I have a devotional, a yearly devotional, It's called The Meaning of Marriage. Really good Timothy Keller book. This is a devotional for couples. Okay? Something that maybe you do together. Redefining light right here. Not going to fix everything, but it may shine some light on some baggage in a marriage. On some darkness. Some difficulty. Maybe it just tightens some things up. Flosses a little bit. Gets some things cleaned out. Okay? I got five of those up here. Here's this one. It's called Embraced. It's by Lisa Turkhurst. I have heard multiple women recommend this. It's a daily devotional for women. Okay? This is just one of those things. You are loved by your Savior. You are embraced by Him. He is enough. His love is the thing that should define your beauty, your identity, who you are, your security. No marriage will do that. No man will do that. No friendship will do that. No amount of makeup or clothing or likes will do that. You need a redefining life. I got five of those up there. It's called the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids. Okay, parents in the room? Cool. This is for you, not for your kids. No, this this is for you. All right? This is an easy thing. It's just one a week for a whole year. It's a Bible story that maybe you've been taught. You might actually learn something in this. It's It's got pictures. All right? I don't care how old your kids are. It might be, I might be early teenage. And you're like, look, this is where we're at. All right. We're just going to admit it. All right. We've not started anywhere else. We're going to start here. We're all going to learn together. That might be the healthiest thing you've done. Because it might be just a little bit of redefining light. And if you got some fresh ones in the room, they can't even read. They'll look at your pupils. They'll meet your eyes as you do. And you'll be discipling before you know it. And you'll be learning too. Take a step. Those of you out there a little want, want something a little more hearty, all Only Don't right? be giving me that flippy-floppity-laffity Bible. It's called Core 52. This is the top 52 verses studied over the course of 52 weeks that pastors hide from you. I mean, no, and you don't, all right? that pastors would love if you would learn them and live them out because they are meaty, good pieces of light that would redefine you. This is a book that I think if you're out there and you've been a Christian for a while and you're just looking for something to take you to the next level, this will get you back to the basics and hype you up a little bit, give you something to kind of chew on. It's a little intense. It's not meant to be just rushed through, but it's good. It's real good. I haven't even finished it, but I've read a good portion of it, so i got to be honest with you. The parts I've read are really good. It's the next step. These are just some options. They're not all of them, but you need to take a step. Maybe it's a Bible plan on Bible Gateway, or I mean on, on a <laughs> Holy Bible app. Maybe it is listening to Bible Gateway. That's one of the things I do on my computer, that's why I say that. Uh, They'll read to you. The Holy Bible app will read to you. That's one of my favorite things. Just click that sucker on and let it go. Maybe it's a daily plan. Maybe it's a prayer journal. You see how God has been redefining you and walking with you could be all you need. Take that next step. The last thing, I'll just say this. Any of those books I just referenced, anything that you're thinking about doing for yourself, I would Call you to start putting some redefining light in someone else's life. Maybe it's a random phone call that you just have one conversation. Maybe it's an ongoing thing, but you need to recognize you are supposed to be making disciples and this is your job. You are supposed to be rubbing elbows. You're supposed to have people in your life that they know that you are pouring into them and that you are with them. You don't have to know everything. You don't even have to see yourself as superior than someone else to help them, to help redefine them, to walk with them, to help them grow. Some of you in here, you see someone that's a little younger, a little less experienced, and you could just be a mentor-style person. Oh, my gosh, could that happen? You just walk up and said, hey, I want to take you to free lunch, Once a month, and we're just gonna talk. Just want you to be able to share life. I want, I want you to grow, and I wanna just I just wanna give you some wisdom if you're up for it. Man, I wish I wish everybody could experience the things I had that happen in my life multiple times, the difference it made. So to conclude today, healthier relationships, healthier finances, healthier parents but let's start with our first step, healthier discipleship. Let's use this redefining light to shape us and to shape the world. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God, and uh, Lord, I believe that you have redefined the world, redefined things that at times I find Overwhelming, disgusting, broken inside myself and in the world around me. And Lord, you, you come in and you say, we are blessed because of the work of Christ. You come in and say, we are loved like small children. You come in and you say, well, we are worth it to you. You have given everything to rescue us, to bring us into right standing. Lord, may we be that redefining life. We reflect what we've been given to the people around us. May we let it penetrate the deepest, darkest parts of our lives that it may redefine, change, excite, motivate, and call us to something more, full life. Lord, do your work. We are so thankful for who you are, the consistency of who you are, and the light that you provide. In your name we pray. Amen. As we go into our response time, I'll just encourage you, it's a bit more expensive on Amazon, but all we're saying is if you're gonna take one that you would just put five bucks in the offering tray or maybe just drop it online. Just trying to recoup a little bit, but at the same time provide a resource. The money is not really the reason, it's more the investment for you. I want you to be invested in this. When you give that $5, I know that you're thinking about it, I know that you're in it, and it costs you a little bit of something there's five of each of those up here during this response time while we're singing if you're like I need one of those that's it come and grab one just come grab it it's okay but for those of you that are gonna sit out there you're not gonna move for a book that's okay I want you to be thinking what is this light reaching in my own heart and is God calling me to help someone else to use this light to refine them Let's respond to God this morning. Let's give Him a moment to speak to each of us. Let's sing. Let's give Him praise. And let's move and respond together. I love seeing uh, all these, uh, I can just tell. Focus excited, anticipatory faces. I love seeing our church be a church. Um, There's just a vulnerability I know that it comes with knowing that you need to make some changes and that maybe God is calling you to be a part of that in someone else's life. Um, I'm excited to see those that are taken. There's still a few up here. I actually have one, at least one of every option. So if you're still thinking about it, that's awesome. I want to invite Brian uh, Leach up to the stage Um, Brian, this last week, had, um, I would say, a significant scare um, with some health things that have gone on. And I don't want to say too much without his story, but he just wanted to share his heart. And uh, I'm trying to do a better job of listening to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so part of that is just allowing him to speak. And Brian is a longtime walker with Jesus and one of the men that I know. Um, You're as honest as they come and you live your life to a flaw. (laughs) <laughs> to a flaw, and, uh, I, uh, I just would love, I'd love to hear your few minutes of what you'd like to share with us uh,
1: this morning. Is this on? It is. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brian Leach. Uh, for those of you uh, you may not think I had a stroke the way I'm standing here, everything seems to be working well, but uh, I will say that Tuesday, a, uh, a wheelchair was very helpful and uh, I could not write my name to save my life. Uh, I could not have held this microphone in my left hand and controlled it. Uh, part of that, the reason I can today, I believe, is because of the health of our church. Uh, I've questioned at times the health of our church, but uh, at least in the part of love for the brethren or uh, uh, caring for each other, I can tell you that uh, our church is healthy. We have uh, been overwhelmed by some of the expressions of concern and uh for the prayer that's been offered and uh, on a side note I would <clears throat> scold some people or I, in the past we've had people that have had health concerns and kept it from their church uh that's what the church is here for and uh I would encourage you to never rob the church of the opportunity to minister and yourself of the opportunity to be ministered to by the church So that's one thing that I learned this week. I've learned a lot of things about overall health and stuff. uh, uh, I believe that the the health of the church is the reason I can stand here. Uh, I I really did have a stroke. Uh, It really affected me, and it is permanent damage. Uh, I believe the prayer is the reason that I'm doing so well today. The second thing that I learned this week that I thought I would want to share with you is that, uh, you know, Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And uh, I've always adopted that as to be my motto. Does it really matter if I die? But how can you say that until you're actually faced with death? And uh, standing here, it may not look like I was facing death, but I can assure you that on Tuesday and Wednesday, when it was obvious I was having a stroke, uh, the there had been no tests run to say that It was not a major thing but uh, when the doctor says you're having many strokes and that could lead to a major stroke and uh, in a very real way I was facing death it was not certain but it was a lot more possible than it was the day before and uh, I can assure you that through all this I never one time even thought about being concerned about dying I did think about dying that it was very possible Uh, and I wanted to share with you just how valuable that is. Uh, You cannot put a price on what having peace can mean in that situation. My wife was in no way eager to lose me but other than being concerned about the possibility of being on her own, she had total peace because her trust her faith is in, in Christ. So if, if you uh, don't know that you could go through a, a scare, I guess we'll say, and have peace, then I would encourage you to uh, evaluate your faith.
0: I loved uh, just talking with a few minutes before you got up here in the hall, and that confidence at, at that moment. Uh, Dallas Willard has a great quote that he wanted to live his life so that if he died, he almost wouldn't notice it. Then he would just well, show up in heaven and go, oh. These yeah. are the people.
1: Well, I can stand here and say I'm not sure that for me to live is Christ that much. I don't know that I exemplify Christ that much in my life. But to die, progress. truly for me to die is gain. Yeah. And uh, if if you can't feel that, then I would I'd ask encourage you. To evaluate you if it.
0: you would like to know more or to talk with Brian about what gave him that confidence, maybe you're in here and you wouldn't have that confidence. I know he would love to talk to you. <sighs> I know that he would love to personally tell you why, that his faith is that strong, and that he knew in that moment that he had security, and that his Savior was his reason. Not, obviously, he doesn't want to commend himself that he has made significant changes and that God has sanctified him in a way, but his salvation is purely from Christ. And uh, I know you'd probably love to talk with anybody who would love to share that.
1: Yeah, sure. And uh, I don't know that I actually said thank you to everybody.
0: Thank you. Awesome. I love taking advantage of the moments when someone's been walking with Christ for a long time, and I know this is true for me. When the rubber hits the road and your faith becomes real, I love hearing testimonies of how good our Father is and how peaceful it can be. We do have a meal for